0: Is Jesus your everything? Is Christ everything to you? Or is he just something? Is Jesus everything in your life? Like if you were to take your life and you were to break it down, and you were to say, like, this is this part of my life, and this is that part, and these are the all of these areas, like, could you say, like unequivocally, that there is a foundational element that is Christ? That, that literally everything is kind of rising up out of that and everything is, is coming from the fact that Christ is all and he's in all. He's everything. He's all that I see. He's all that I know. Or is he just something? Because this is the difference between a morally restrained heart and a supernaturally changed heart. See, a morally restrained heart is one that tries and tries and tries, but never really receives this full joy in their Christian life, even in the midst of their failure. Someone who's morally restrained has the opportunity for pride. If things go well for you and, you, and, you, and you're able to execute on the things that you, that you know that you shouldn't be doing, and if you're able to follow through with the things that you know that you should be doing, a morally restrained heart is one that says, I've done this. And ultimately, Christ may be something, but he's not everything. Because really, where the, the change in your life is coming from is temporary and it's self-focused. It's it's temporary because of this. It won't last forever. Sooner or later, you will crack, and and probably sooner rather than later, you will fail. Now you may say, well, that's not a real, uh, oh, that's 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 a pretty uh, winsome message there, Pastor. Well, let me just tell you the truth, because I I can't really do anything else. I don't know if you know me at all, but I am called a truth teller, which is uh, another word for, uh, well, I won't get into that. But um, sometimes I tell the truth. And what that looks like is this, is that sometimes we don't really understand what it means to be a Christian, but the Apostle Paul is laying out for us today what it looks like to truly be a Christian. And he's going to show us this in Colossians chapter 3, and I, I, I want you to see this. Colossians chapter 3, we've, we've already taught on verses 1 through um, 6. And uh, I had intended to get through many more verses uh, this last week. But we, uh, we stayed on uh, through verse 6. And so I'm, I'm going to read actually uh, verses 1 uh, through 17. And um, we're really going to be focusing today uh, from verse 7 through 17. But I want to read it in context. And it says this, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, or greediness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all, and in all, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive, and above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, There is a difference between a supernaturally changed heart and a morally restrained heart. Now, if we were going about uh, the way of morally restraining ourselves this morning, if we were going to talk about that, like if our idea of what it meant to be a Christian was for us to try to just be good people, then what we would talk about here today Is all of these moral things, and we would leave you at that, and we would say, uh, Go and good luck. That's what we would say. But there's a difference between a supernaturally changed heart and a morally restrained heart, says Tim Keller. And the difference is in the key way in which you look at some of these things. Now, if I was gonna break down this passage, verses 7 through 17, I'd say this I'd say, The first part is, Don't be mean. Don't be angry, don't, uh, don't be wrathful, don't, don't have malice. The second part would be, be really nice, be really, really nice. And then the third part would be, oh, and be really religious. So we've got these, these three parts, which, which oftentimes you could read this and you could say, okay, I need to not be mean this, this week. And so let's look at that piece there. And I want you to let it sink in here a little bit because it is intended to also tell you something about your morals and how you live. He says, in these, you too once walked when you were living in them, verse 7. Pay careful attention to the fact that he's saying, in these, you, you once walked, you were living in them. And he's saying this, he's saying like, there, there's something new that's happened in your life, and, and, and here's where you were regardless of what's happening in your life today, because in a moment he's going to say, uh, don't lie to one another. He, and he's simply saying this, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that all of a sudden there isn't a propensity there towards lying or towards anger or towards what have you. But what he's saying is this, he's saying you're in a new position right now. It's like in the U.S. Congress, depending on where you sit, uh, you vote one way or the other typically. And so what what uh, the Apostle Paul is saying, he's saying, you are sitting in a new place. And so what you need to do is you need to be acting like this. Since he, and so he says, in these you once walked when you were living in them. So what's true of you is this, is that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then what this means is that you are no longer in these things. I'm no longer in anger. I'm no longer in slander. I'm no longer in malice but I'm in something else. And so he says, but now you must put them all away. You've got to put these things away because something different has happened in your life. He says anger, anger. Now, if you're like me, uh, there are some things that get me angry and some things that don't. But I, uh, you know, just an an example of my, um, you know, my own life is, is this. I, I have a, a dry cleaner. I won't tell you which dry cleaner, otherwise I'd be slandering them, but um, hence the anger. But uh, uh, <laughs> um, so uh, I have a, a dry cleaner and I've been using this dry cleaner for uh, probably several years now. And so I, uh, I take my clothes into the dry cleaner and I, every time I'm so hopeful. And, I mean, and that's kind of a spiritual good thing, right? You know, I'm hopeful when I go in there And I go in and and I'm hopeful that things are going to turn out differently. And so I take my clothes in and, and I would say about every other time a shirt gets lost or it's not ready when I come back or something else takes place. And it takes just about everything I have. And I don't know what it has to do with, but for some reason, it's like, I brought a shirt to you and it's not here when I got back. It's, I mean, it's, I, I don't know where it is. You don't know where it is. Like, where's my shirt? Or where's my shirts? And so all of a sudden, I'm in this place where I'm like, I'm, I'm angry. I'm wrathful. I have malice. I'm going to slander them. And then pretty soon, I'm going to lie to them. I mean, I am just going to get them back because there is some stuff going on in my heart that says, I am frustrated with what's going on. The Apostle Paul is saying this, that as Christians, it's not a question of whether you're going to be angry or whether you're going to feel like being wrathful, which is an outburst of anger. And it's not a question of whether you're going to feel like holding a grudge or a hateful feeling towards someone or something. It's not a question of that. The question is how you respond and whether you live in those things or whether Christ is at the foundational level of your life. If Christ is at the foundational level of your life, then something different is going to happen. But if you're living in and out of these things... If you're living in and out of yourself and saying, everything that matters right now is self. I'm in the dry cleaner right now, and right now I don't care about anything else. All I see are my shirts. In fact, I don't see them, and that's what's making me angry. I mean, I am frustrated in these circumstances, but don't we all get frustrated? The Apostle Paul is saying this, is that you can believe the gospel and yet totally miss the gospel when you miss this one thing. That when you allow anger to take root in your life, and when you, when you around allow anger to happen in the midst of your relationships, what's happening there is not just the fact that you just got angry, but you're living in that, and you're not living in Christ in that moment. You're not living in Christ. I mean, look at wrath, outbursts of anger, whether it's in your marriage or in your relationships or what have you. Its Anger is, is, is like a stew that begins to boil, and wrath is the explosion that comes at the end. It happens as a result of allowing that first area of anger, and we all know that there is sin that angers us, and that is understandable to one degree or another. But it's wrath that comes out of that when we express this anger in a way that is unrighteous, in a way that is not in Christ. But it is in us. It is, it is in our anger that we're operating. Malice, a hateful feeling, a grudge. I don't know if you ever saw that movie, The Grudge. I don't watch scary movies very often, but uh, uh, when my wife and I were dating, I was watching a scary movie with her uh, one time. I was, I was on the floor laying on my stomach watching this, and I totally unexpected in the middle of this movie. Uh, you know, you know, you get, I got scared and my whole body just kind of did one of these, you know, but I couldn't do that because I was laying on my stomach and I got a, a cramp in my behind. And uh, so I'm trying to act cool. I'm with some friends and the girl I'm dating or hope to be, I, I don't remember what was going on at that time. And I'm writhing around on the floor, uh, going, oh, 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 holding my behind. And so that's my story about the grudge or scary movies. Anyway, uh, a hateful feeling. Don't think about that right now. A hateful feeling. <laughs> A hateful feeling is when we have wrath stored up. And it's becoming more and more. You know, sometimes we, we try to minimize our sin. And we say, you know, its uh, I just kind of don't like that person very much. I'd, I'd rather not hang out with them. We, we, we try to, you know, put a, a nice face on them. We try to say, you know, it's, uh, it's just kind of, it's a little issue I've got. I, I'm just, I'm just a little bit, you know, hurt by them. I'm a, I'm, I'm a little bit hurt by this, by this situation. And really what's going on inside is that you're not really being truthful with yourself. What's really happening inside of you is that you have malice. And you can try to put a nice face on that, and you can can try to say, well, they really hurt me really badly, but at some point, yes, we we need to work through hurt, and it's incredibly difficult. I would never mean to minimize your hurt through whatever's been done to you, but I just want to say this, that that will end up hurting you more than anyone else. It'll end up hurting you and it hurts your relationships and it doesn't glorify God because of this. Because you're living in and out of that malice, that hateful feeling. Your life becomes about that hateful feeling, at least in your relationship to them. Your life becomes, out. I'm living out of this hurt. And I'm living out of these feelings of dislike towards this person. And somehow in the Christian community, we can put a a smiley face on that. We can make a joke about it, and somehow we just think that that's okay. Paul is saying here, he's saying, like, as somebody who's a believer in Jesus Christ, what you've got to know is this, is that that is not right. That is not what God wants out of you. That is not where God wants you to be living your life. Because you're not living out of Christ, you're living out of hurt. The foundational element of what your life is built on ultimately has to do with you and how you feel rather than Christ and who he is. Slander. It's true or not gossip. It's, it's, it's either true or it's not true, but it's, it's gossip. It's trash talking about someone. It's trash talking about uh, your friends. It may be trash talk about your, your wife people at your work, it's, 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 it's talking about them in such a way that's not lifting them up. And yes, it's even talking about your, your pastor in that way. Look, can I just share something? I wouldn't normally do this, but whether you stay here at this church forever or whether you go somewhere else, let me just say this. Pastors have feelings, <laughs> I, don't I don't know if you remember uh, Mitt Romney's uh, thing about corporations. Corporations are people too. Pastors are people too, right? Uh, uh, pastors have feelings. And whether it's, whether it's me as your lead pastor, or whether it's your community group leader, or whether it's somebody on staff, somehow, you know, when we stand up and say, I think God's led me to be here, and other people put their hands on us, and they say, we see that too, and we want to bless you with that. Somehow, we just get a big target on our back and the church community somehow thinks, oh, we got something to aim at sometimes. And so we, and the reason why I can say this right now is because there's nothing like this going on right now that I know of, all right? <laughs> that I know of, all right? Um, seriously, I, that's, I, I think that's probably why I feel some freedom in saying this, but I, I honestly don't know that we've ever really even talked about this from the stage to say this, that like, whether it's somebody in your family or somebody at work or somebody in your life or if it's people at church or your pastors, like you don't understand what you're doing when you do that. When you criticize or you slander and you you don't go to that person and you say, hey, I have a problem. When, When men can't be men and go toe to toe and nose to nose with someone and say, without wrath, without anger, you've hurt me. You've hurt me. I, you know, you really are too truthful in your sermons. You, you, I, I really don't like this. You said this thing. Men, you've got to stand up. And you've got to be one of the first ones to say, I'm not going to allow things between me and my brother or sister in Christ, but I'm going to them and I'm going to say something. Too often, this idea just kind of gets lost. and like, well, I'm just not really sure how I feel right now. You're sure enough to talk to somebody else about it, so that's sure enough the time to go talk to them. Hopefully, what you always hear from our pastors here is this, is when you come to us and you say, I've got an issue with so-and-so, and we just want to stop you right there. We, we don't want to be rude, but we just want to stop you right there and just say, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, back up. Have you told them? Have you told that person? Have you gone and spoken with them? Okay, you haven't? Okay, I want to encourage you to muster the courage to go talk with them right now. Slander is talking to someone else rather than to the person who's hurt you, and there's no doubt. You've probably been hurt. You, you could have been hurt by me or somebody who's on staff, or whether it's somebody in your life or in the church, what have you. Slander is trash talking someone, and obscene talk, filthy language or subject matter. Why do we feel like it's reasonable for Christians to engage in conversation? that is filthy why do we at times feel like that's appropriate I realize not everybody here probably senses that but I believe to one degree or another whether you're allowing that in your life through the things that you watch or whether there's conversations at work that are filthy or in some other setting this obscene language, this obscene talk. It hurts you and it hurts your hearers. It is damaging the people around you. Men oftentimes have, have graphic conversations and you don't understand the things that you put in other men's minds when you say obscene things. When you talk about things that should only be talking, uh, talked about in private perhaps with your wife. If it's about your personal sex life when you talk about other people other women other men whatever when we make jokes about things like that it puts an image in someone else's mind and you've damaged them whether you know it or not obscene talk this should not be filthy language do not lie to one another we, we cannot operate in a way where there's not truth. The Christian life must be based on truth. We must speak the truth and love to one another on a regular basis, even when it hurts. We must speak the truth. Now, I'm, I'm saying this seriously right now because of this. There's too many of us who feel like we can go on in life and do business any old way there's too many of us that make a post on Facebook talking about how great the service was and then we go home or we go into our work life and we, and, and we have obscene conversations or we're, we're wrathful, we blow up, we, what have you. And what takes place is this, is that the same person that we're talking to that we've had a filthy conversation with or, we've, or what have you is the same person that knows us on Facebook Or the same person that knows that we even attend church, or the same person that knows something about us. And it's not simply, well you've just defamed the name of Christ, I mean that's in part what it is, but really what's going on is that you've injured that person. Because of this, because you're not living in Christ, you're living in you. You're living in self-gratification. You're living in a place that says, Christ is not my everything. You could sing the song, oh, I am my everything. I am my delight. That's not a good worship song, especially coming from me right now, all right? That's not a good worship song because all that's happening is that I'm worshiping me. I'm worshiping me. I'm worshiping me. And what happens is that it just shows who we're living in and out of. He says, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Notice what he says. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. The scriptures show something here. And that is that something has happened to you. And he's saying, since that's happened to you, act like that's happened to you seeing you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self so something else has happened to you but then he says this which is being renewed what's happening in in our lives is this is that there's a, a continual renewal process you know what that means it's progressive The Christian life is progressive. It's progressively happening. It doesn't happen at one moment. Notice what he's saying. He's saying, this has happened to you. You've put off the old self. You have put on the new self. What's gonna take place now is this, is that if you know Jesus, you're gonna progressively become like him. You're gonna be renewed. There's something that's gonna be taking place. You know what this also means? Is this some of you are here and you're just going, This is heavy. This is heavy. Like I I'm so angry and I and I'm so wrathful, and I and I've slandered someone and I lied. But Paul's saying this listen, the Christian life, even though it's happened to you, it is also happening. Renewal is taking place in your life. And he says, in knowledge after the image of its creator. In knowledge. You might say, how does this happen in my life? Okay, how does the renewal process? I I have people ask me this, what's it mean to be renewed? It, It means this, knowledge comes in, intake comes in, and it comes out of our life. Knowledge comes in, and it comes out of our life, and it can't just come here. It can't just be and intellectual knowledge but it's got to be a heart knowledge your heart has got to be affected by what's taken place your heart has got to be affected by this this new information it's got it's got to change so you're being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator Jesus who is the image of God he is the firstborn over all creation he is God and we're being renewed to be like him And then he says in verse 11, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. You know what he's saying there? It doesn't matter if you're this race or that race or whether you're you're the right religious person like you're really good at being religious, circumcised or uncircumcised, you're you're really into that, or whether you're from the right culture, as he he says here, he says barbarian or or Scythian, slave or free, or the the right economic status, it does not matter. Here, there is neither one, one of these or one of those. So you may be here and you may say, I just don't fit in because of a number of factors and Paul is saying and Jesus is saying to you today that here with Christ and in Christ Christ is everything and where you came from is nothing if you live out of that nothing what happens is a life that's filled with these things But if you live in the everything that is Christ, something else takes place. You know how deep this goes? Look at these two words, barbarian or Scythian. A barbarian is essentially someone that the Greeks, it would have been uh, perhaps maybe a little bit of a racial slur. There's Greeks and then everyone else is barbarians, they would say. So there's these barbarians and so they may be somebody who are a little bit off, but then you have the Scythians. And the Scythians are people, if you look through history, and, and not, not necessarily even including Scripture, if you look through history, a Scythian is someone who is an absolute brutal murderer. Think about ISIS. Think about the worst type of terrorist that we can think of. There are actual writings. I should have brought one for you. Them talking about how they murdered, using... Uh, a human skull as like a dish to eat out of. Just disgusting, like horrific things, what they've done to people. And what Paul is saying here, he's saying there, there's not this person or that person. There's no amount of how bad or how good or whatever you think that you are. Christ is all and he's in all. Another way to say that is Christ is everything and he is in Everyone who knows him and so what matters is this is not your pedigree or your law degree or your standing as an individual what matters is do you have Christ or Don't you have Christ? That's what matters Let's keep going here Put on then as God's chosen ones holy and beloved compassionate hearts compassionate hearts. If you look through Jesus' life, what you see is that you'll see verse after verse where Jesus looks out on the crowd and he has compassion on them. He sees people who uh, lack food and he has compassion on them and he wants to feed them. He sees people that are sheep without a shepherd and he wants to lead them. Compassionate hearts. Do we have compassionate hearts? Let Let me just say this. That oftentimes when people, when we invite people to come to know Jesus, they often think that we're inviting them to become Republicans. Come to Jesus so that you can be a right-wing Republican. Now, you may have strong political beliefs, and I firmly affirm your uh, ability to do so. But guess what? Christianity is not about conservatism. And it's not about being a liberal either. It's it's neither of those things. What he's saying here is he's saying compassionate hearts. Let's let's get down and dirty here for a second. How would Jesus view illegal immigrants? I have nothing to say about about this. I'm not not saying uh, what our president should or should not be doing. I don't even care. I'll just tell you this. I don't know how, I've, I haven't seen any post on Facebook. I'm not looking at anybody. If you made a, a weird post recently, then shame on you, but, um, <laughs> but what I'm saying is this, is that are you showing a compassionate heart? Behind every illegal immigrant is a person and a family. So whether you are a conservative or a liberal, and I don't know what would be best because I'm not a politician. But I'll just tell you this, do you have a compassionate heart? And secondly, stop identifying with your chosen political party and where you're at over Christ because you're not in Ronald Reagan. And you're not in whoever the liberals like, but I'm kidding, whatever. I can think of, I won't do it. You're not in that guy. You're in Christ. And when you're in Christ, and he's the foundational element of your life, that means this, that my political ideals get set on the foundation of Christ. And I am in Christ. And so therefore, what comes up and out of me through my political ideals is a compassionate heart because I'm in Christ. And I may vote a certain way, but what's got to come through is compassion. And I can tell you this, I don't believe you'll be voting along party lines every time when you think about that. When you think about a compassionate heart, kindness, exercising kindness when the dry cleaner loses your shirts. Because this has truly been a test for me. How do I live in Christ when I go and I know that there's going to be a shirt missing? Well, first of all, I've got to have a compassionate heart. I don't know where you work, but I'd say this. If you work at a dry cleaner, you may love your work, and I think that that's awesome. But you know what? The chances are there's a lot of people who are doing dry cleaning, and it's a temporary job right now. And I don't know what they went through, but I know this. I don't want to stand in front of an iron or whatever they're doing to dry clean, however that happens, right? I, I know that that's probably not where I would want to be. And so what I, what, what I need to understand is this, is that they probably don't want to be there right now, but they probably have a family. And so if I'm living in Christ and Christ is in me, then this, what this means is that, that I have a compassionate outlook on them and I have kindness towards them. And so it doesn't matter what comes back at me, whether it's anger or losing my shirts or whatever. What comes back to them is this, is kindness. You know what I do at restaurants? I try to muster everything I can to make sure my tip is above and beyond what I think they deserve in my heart. You know, I just, I'm like, you just got to write it on there. And I'm just, ugh. I don't know what you tip, but you know what? You probably need a tip more. You probably do. When, when, when you're out and you pray before a meal, but then you leave a, a cruddy tip, gosh, come on. They saw you pray. They waited for you while you got done praying. And, and this is not a vote to just like, uh, well, let's just stop praying before our meals if you're going to be a bad tipper. This is... This is like, would you have kindness towards people? Would you have kindness towards them? Kindness is absolutely necessary. What's he he say next? Humility. What do we need to say about this? It's not Kanye West, right? (laughs) What do they say about Kanye, does anybody know who Kanye West is? (laughs) Nobody loves Kanye more than Kanye, someone told me a while ago. Humility. It's not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. It's not thinking less of yourself and say, oh, I'm, I'm woe well, is me, but it's thinking of myself less. You know, some of us feel like, well, I'm a pretty humble person. I don't really think of myself very well. You know, I, I don't really think I'm all that in a bag of chips, but here's the thing. You are always thinking about yourself. I am always thinking about myself, and so what's happening is this, is that it's not real humility. You may not be thinking very much of yourself, but here's the truth. Humility is thinking of yourself less. And what what are you directing your eyes on? It's in Christ. Your life is hidden with Christ. You are in Him. He's the foundational element of your life. Some of you are so self-focused. You are so insecure, let me include myself in this. I am so insecure and my biggest problem is this, I keep looking to myself and I keep thinking what matters most is how I feel in this moment. So the way that I respond to people, some of you are incredibly introverted and I'm, I'm kind of an introvert so I, I, I'm cool with that. But you're so introverted and one of the things that happens is this, is that you don't often Reach out and and meet people. And sometimes you put that on other people and you say, it's your fault if I'm not meeting people or something. But here's what's actually going on. There's a pride issue. You say, I'm not very prideful. No, your pride comes out in a different way. It's not like Kanye, but it's it's a little bit more hidden. It's false humility. And it's thinking of yourself all the time. Meekness. Let me quickly say this. Meekness is not weakness. It's strength under control. Meekness is this. I have the ability to say to the person who's been serving me, I didn't get the service that I deserve because I have rights. I'm a customer. Uh, I'm a citizen. I have rights. I have rights in my marriage. I have rights in my work. Do you know, do you know what's, what's going on? When, when you have the full ability to unleash God and all of his angels and a lawsuit and all of this stuff, and yet you hold back and you say, I could, but I won't because I am not living for myself. I don't live in Matt Porter and I don't live in whoever, whatever your name is, but I don't live in myself. I'm not in me, I'm in Christ and Christ is in me and I'm living out of that. He's the foundational element of my life. I heard of a guy at one point who got upset with his work and so he's full on Christian, shares Christ at work, felt like he had been shorted something And so he full-on brought a lawsuit on his work, tried to sue the pants off of them. Now, I understand that there are moments and some of those decisions are very hard to make as far as whether you should or you shouldn't do those types of things. I think some of those are hard decisions. But let me just say this, that there needs to be more thought that goes into before you exercise your rights, whether it's in a court of law or whether it's just at the dinner table at a restaurant or whether it's at the dry cleaners or in your marriage there needs to be more thought that goes into what does meekness look right now look like right now because meekness is not weakness it is power under control i have the power to do that but i will withhold and patience not my gifting um Patience is probably one of the biggest difficulties of my life because I want things to happen on a pace that moves like this, whether I'm driving or whether I'm getting my kids to bed. I want things to happen right now. And it's just simply this, if I assert my rights right now and I get impatient, it's a subtle way, it's a subtle hint, it's a passive aggressive comment. Hey, were we going to get some service here in a minute? It's impatience. Um, I've been waiting for like 30 minutes for... There's times to do that, but how do you do that with patience? How do you do that with patience? I think it's difficult, obviously. But this is what we should be putting on. Bearing with one another. uh, Tolerance is a word that comes to mind without all of the political ramifications. Tolerating people, and more than tolerating with them, we're bearing with them. We're working with them, with the difficulties that they have, with the irritating habits that they have, with their impatience. We're bearing with them in love. And he says, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Now, here's the thing about forgiveness. If you, if you don't understand how you've been forgiven, you won't forgive. Because this is what Paul says, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. A refusal to forgive, a hard heart that says, I've just been hurt by that person and I'm just, I'm just gonna remain that way. No, I'm not gonna go take it to them. No, I'm not gonna do, do anything with it. That's hardness of heart Exercising itself in unforgiveness, which essentially is just saying this, I don't understand that I've been forgiven. I don't understand that I've been forgiven. Verse 14, And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let me move a little bit quicker here, because we're running out of time. He says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. Be thankful. Look at how many times it says thankful. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I want to end with this. The way to be living in Christ is not going to be through moral commitments today. Now, you you may have some moral commitments that you need to make, but I I, I just want to hold off on that for just a second. And I just want to say, the way towards seeing your life supernaturally changed versus morally restrained is in this element. He says thankful three different times. He says, uh, let the word of Christ dwell in you. I'm, I'm sorry, and be thankful at the end of verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. So the, the peace of Christ and be thankful. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then you need to sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with thankful. So there's, there's peace in your life that's kind of permeating all of your life. And peace as opposed to anger, or wrath, or malice, or slander. Like, I have peace with my fellow man. But then he says this, uh, in addition to that, that you're, you're, you're allowing the word of Christ to dwell in you. And it's dwelling in you so richly that you're able to speak the truth to other people. So you're teaching, and you're admonishing, which is another way of teaching. You're able to, to speak the gospel, with all wisdom, but then on top of that, not only are you able to teach, maybe it's just your kids, maybe it's your coworker, but even beyond that, it is singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, let me say what I think we lack here at Outward Church. We have great music, I believe, from our, our band and everything, they do an incredible job. But what I wonder about is this. Are we thankful? Has the word of Christ dwelt in us richly, so much so that what's coming out of us is this, is that there is a psalm that I know. There's a hymn that I'm, that I'm, that I'm singing. Be thou my vision. Because here's what happens. Like, if I'm not thankful and I don't feel like singing that. If I'm not thankful, then that's not a song that's in my heart. But if I'm thankful, if the word of God has dwelt in me ritually, then what's taking place is this, is that something's happening. I'm thankful, and I'm I'm, thankfulness is just coming out, and it's coming out, and it's coming out. And so worship is essentially this, whether it's singing a psalm, a hymn, a spiritual song, Worship is essentially, it's worshiping because of who he is and what he's done. But let me tell you what happens. If you think that somehow you've done this, let me give you an an indicator. If you think that somehow you're acceptable to God because you've morally restrained yourself, then what happens is this. Who's there to thank Who's there to be thankful to? Because if if you've done it all and if your daily life is, is simply this, I need to hold back on that, I need to stop doing that, if that's what it is, then what's happening is this, it's all dependent on you. And so when worship comes, worship time comes, it's not about, oh, God be my everything. You're saying, oh, I am my everything. I am my delight. And what's taking place is this, is that what's coming out of your life is the overflow of how you worship yourself. And some of you have got to get brutal with yourself, in fact, all of us do. We've got to say, I'm not just slightly irritated, like I am worshiping me. I'm not just kind of bugged, I am an idolater. And I'm not living in Christ. I'm living in me and I'm not thankful. So why aren't you thankful? Why aren't you thankful? Because somehow you believe that you did it. There's something in your life. I can tell you this because this happens in my life. There's something in your life that says, I've done this. Do you remember back to verse 12? Paul says this, the only way for you to put on, put on then as this, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. You know what that means? That word chosen, very controversial. But you know what? You can't be thankful if you're not chosen. If you chose, you get to thank yourself, hey, look what I did. Look how incredible I am. I chose something. But if God chose you and you might say, wait a minute, I thought I decided to become a Christian at one point in my life. And I would say this, God revealed himself to you and gave you faith. So the only way for you to come to God is for God to awaken you in the midst of your anger and your malice and your rage and your self-righteousness thinking I'm a really good person. It's awakening you to this and saying, I choose you. It's it's one thing to say, yeah, I chose to be a part of this. It's another thing for them to choose you. It's one thing to go after a job at a huge company and say, this is my dream job and I'm trying to get on the door and I'm knocking on the door. It's a completely different thing for you to be doing your own thing in in another place and for that company to come seek you out and say, We see you, and we want you in our company. And here's the thing. Jesus doesn't pick star players. Jesus doesn't pick excellent employees. Jesus pulls every single one of us out of filthiness, out of the gutter, out of this tomb of self-focused, pride and arrogance and he saves us and more than just saving us he says you are holy and you may be sitting here today and you may say I don't feel holy or I don't feel holy yet you know what Jesus says you are holy means that you're clean you're righteous before him And more than just being clean and righteous and any of those things, you are beloved. He loves you. You've done nothing to deserve His affection on your life, but He loves you. You're not a star player, but He loves you. And He chose you. And the only thing to say is, Me? Are you serious? Me? You know what the Christian life is like? The Christian life is this. Seriously, you'd save me? Wait a minute, I've got sin in my life. You you still love me? Put on then, as God's chosen holy and beloved ones, put these things on because yes, I love you. There's nothing that can take it away. I don't care if you grew up in the church or you didn't grow up in the church. I don't care if you're a a barbarian or a Scythian. I don't care if you work at the dry cleaners or you work in an office tower. I choose you. And the only way that you can say, oh, God, be my everything. Oh, be my delight. is because of this. I'm thankful because you saved me and I didn't deserve it. Is Jesus your everything? If he isn't your everything, you're just morally restrained and you will not be supernaturally changed. If he's your everything, life will change. And if he's not, it'll keep going the same way. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this morning, we want to thank you so much for the fact that you've saved us. God, may may there be men who lift holy hands to you because you love us so much and you care about us. And God, so we're just here to say thank you. We're just here to say it's you that's done this. It's you that's made things new in us. And so we want to live out of that thankfulness. Thank you, Jesus, for doing this. It's in your name we pray. Amen.